Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back. I'm so glad when you show up on the Vibe Show to learn a little bit more about your health and wellness and what leads to a high vibration life. I met Dr. David Friedman when he interviewed me on his radio show uh, when I was launching my book, Vibe, at the end of 2017. And he has just come out with a book that I just read, and it is called Food Sanity. He's a doctor of naturopathy, he's a clinical nutritionist, and he's a chiropractic neurologist. So he's board certified alternative medical practitioner, he's board certified in integrative medicine, and he runs a syndicated radio and television show. And so that's what I was on. Very much enjoyed him interviewing me because unlike some people who interviewed me, he actually read the book. He read the book, he got it. It was a, a really fun interview. So on his show, he has he has interviewed people like John Travolta, Jenny McCarthy, my guess is probably on vaccines, Jamie Lee Curtis, Val Kilmer, Paul Newman. And so he really digs deep into how to help people with their everyday health and their wellness issues. And this book that we're talking about today, he has a passion like I do for sorting through all the madness in the diet wars the diet cults. So I'm really excited to bring you this interview. He gives you lots of interesting information that busts up some myths that many of us may believe about supplements and about food. So welcome to the Vibe Show, Dr. David Friedman. Oh, great to be here, Robin. So I'm really excited about your book. I've been reading it. It's called Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction. And one of the reasons I'm excited about it is not just that we interview lots of longtime health and wellness experts and specifically nutrition experts on what the truth is out there in a, in a world of fads, but also your title really spoke to me because we've been thinking about doing a documentary on the, on the diet wars and just tracing the economics of it and what works and what doesn't and why these diet fads come and go and why they make tens of millions of dollars, many of them. And so tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book. Yeah, the main reason I wrote the book is is after 18 years of frustration that I endured as a syndicated TV and radio health expert, I've interviewed hundreds of scientists, doctors, and best-selling authors, kind of like you, Robin, in the hopes to share information that'll make your audience reach optimal health. Well, unfortunately, that's not what happened. In my case, every guest would contradict the previous expert, leaving everyone, including me, more confused from proponents of the vegan, the paleo, the Mediterranean to gluten-free. Then you got the low-carb diet. The opinions are different as night and day. And I remember oatmeal used to help balance blood sugar. Research proved it. Now we're told avoid grains because they spike your blood sugar. And coffee used to be considered unhealthy. Today we're told it helps prevent disease and prolongs life. And eggs used to cause high cholesterol. Now research shows eggs contain lecithin, which helps lower cholesterol. So really, after growing frustrated with all the conflicting opinions, I wrote food sanity. It breaks through all the facts, fads, and fiction and finally answers the big question, what are we supposed to be eating? In your introduction, you were talking about um, some examples in your own life of how you would take lots of supplements and then find out later that that amount of the supplement was toxic or 
that you really shouldn't be taking the supplement at all. Is that part of that, your own personal journey that led you to want to kind of cut through the clutter and, and tell, tell people what the real truth is? Yeah. When you're talking about supplements and vitamins, so I'm saying, again, I'm, I'm a naturopath. So I was trained to take a bag full of it and recommend those to my patients. And that's what I did. I just did, did what I taught and I practiced what I preached. And then I found out that, you know, people were tell, talking about the porta potties, how they were showing up. And I had a patient tell me that her clogged up septic tank was repaired and they found these vitamin pills intact with the name still readable. And I said, wait a minute, I'm taking a handful of pills. And I kind of researched and found out that so many of them are made out of rocks and dolomite and oxides and chemicals. They're not natural. And that stuff just doesn't digest well. And it passes right through us. And the part that stays in us might not be very good. In fact, people don't realize this, that so much research shows that that uh, you know the British Medical Journal showed that calcium supplements increase the risk of heart attacks by 30% and then there's John Hopkins research found vitamin E supplements increase a person's risk of dying from all causes and then I read Mount Sinai School of Medicine they're quoted the talk about vitamin C supplement causes genetic damage to your genes and offspring so basically when I looked at that I said well, wait a minute are vitamins not good or is it just the ones meant in chemicals in the lab? And that's the key. People don't realize the pharmaceutical industry owns all of the major vitamin companies on the market. Bear Healthcare of Aspen fame makes the one a day and Flintstones Chewables. Theragrand M is manufactured by Bristol Myers Squibb. Centrum is owned by the largest pharmaceutical company in the world, Pfizer. And just like the drugs they make, there's nothing natural in these vitamin supplements. So in my book, Food Sanity, I share how many of the vitamins are used to create these toxic chemicals are also used to make antibiotics like methanol, benzene, acetate, petroleum esters. And I talk about how they're used to make antifungal medication like 2N acetic acid. The term natural, it's so overused and it's not defined by government. So when you see these quote vitamins that you think are natural, they're far from it. So I do love supplements, but find them from whole food. My theory is we weren't created in a laboratory and neither should our vitamins be. So what do you think this means for us that all the drug companies have bought up all the supplement companies? I mean, you're suggesting that they're using synthetic ingredients that are similar to isolated nutrients and food. But I hear a lot of people bragging about their product by saying that it's uh, it's um, pharmaceutical grade. And I kind of laugh because I'm like, and that's a good <laughs> thing because why? <laughs> so what, is, what does it mean for us as the consumer that the drug companies own the supplement companies? I think it's a big conflict of interest if you ask me because these same companies own the big expensive drugs that they want you on when you're sick and you really think they're putting a lot of thought and love into these vitamins that are supposed to prevent disease that you buy for $5. <laughs> so there's a conflict there. I don't think that the people that are promoting us sick care should be working on our health care, you know, when he talks about vitamins and preventative care. So other people have tackled this topic of, of trying to sort through the food fads. What, what is different about your book? The big thing that's different about my book is, you know, and I've interviewed them all. I've read most of who I interview or at least looked at the books. And what I do is something different. I use a common science meets common sense approach to figuring out the culinary conundrum. So unfortunately, we can't rely on the scientific studies because, as you know, sometimes that changes weekly sometimes. Plus, many of them are biased. And I spell that B-U-Y-A-S-E-D, meaning they're bought and paid for. So I show the reader how to avoid these paid for unreliable scientific studies tap into their instincts, trust their gut instead of relying on what they hear in the media this week and next. Then we explore the biology of the body and see if we were designed to eat it. And when you combine these three things, Robin, science, 
instincts and biology, you basically have a foolproof blueprint that shows you what you should and shouldn't eat. It's kind of like a tricycle. Without three wheels, it can't function. So my three-wheel process is what other diet books are missing. And in Food Sanity, I don't use the, it's my way or the highway approach. Instead, I help the reader kind of make up their own minds on the best way to eat, lose weight, and prevent disease. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm going to be quoting your book when I write a blog post soon about how much of the information on the internet is now bought and paid for. Most of what we read on the internet is just marketing. Right. And you know, the saying goes, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So if your boss is going to pay you $40 million and let's say your boss is the American Dairy Association, they say, look, we want to prove that milk does a body good, makes bone strong. Go for it. Are you really going to disappoint your boss and, and say goodbye to those millions of dollars? And if you do come back with a study showing the opposite, they just won't publish it. So it's really, that's what I did in my book. If you look at all the references in the back, that was the big time-consuming part of my book is looking at science that wasn't paid for. And, you know, even in the supplement, uh, I have a supplement company. You won't see me mention that. I didn't want to have anything. Instead, I recommended my competitors. I wanted you to believe everything in there was not paid for. And for me to tell you that, hey, buy my product, there I am. I'm being biased. So I really practiced what I preach and didn't even share what I created, which is the whole food products. Yeah, I, I actually had not heard that uh, Piper and tune um, quote until I read it in your book. But then you also mention PLOS Medicine Journal did a study on the correlation between the funding source and the researcher's conclusion. And you say here, they analyzed 206 scientific studies regarding nutrition-related articles and looked at the relationship between the findings and the group conducting the research. The, research, the results of this study was staggering. When the group conducting the research had a vested interest in the outcome, the results were four to eight times more favorable than when the group conducting the research was an independent third party. That yeah. is compelling. And I, I, one of the major things that I want to do at Green Smoothie Girl that we talk about a lot is helping people develop those critical thinking skills because um, marketers ruin everything, <laughs> I always say. And, 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 and I'm a marketer, but you know, we're small, we're independent, nobody pays for what we put on the internet. And so I, like you, I try to dig to the bottom of these, these issues. Nothing out there more frustrating than the issue of what is taught people regarding weight loss. And I know in Food Sanity, you talk about three keys to weight loss. Will you share a little bit about that? Yeah. One thing I want to mention is, you know, weight loss is the big question I hear most commonly with patients. They say, what works? I'm so confused. And I usually surprise them when, I'm, when I answer them. They all work. Whether it's eating for your blood type, Atkins, Paleo, Zone, Keto, Nutrisystem, or Weight Watchers, if you follow the program, you will experience weight loss. I mean, these programs work. People lose weight. But unfortunately, the results are usually just temporary. And one of the main reasons why so many different diets initially work is because they all have one thing in common. They change a person's routine. They all promote eating different foods, different ways at different times. So whether that's eating great fruits or steak three times a day or changing your portion sizes or going vegan, when you mix up your daily routine, you're going to alter your metabolism, change your blood glucose levels, which in turn can lead to weight loss. The key is keeping it off. And research shows within a year, 95% gain the weight back or more after starting a diet. So in food sanity, I looked at the word diet for what it really means. It comes from the Greek word diet 
geisha, which means way of living. See, that's the key to achieving permanent weight loss. So in food sanity, I share how to get in touch with the true meaning of that word. And that doesn't include just your eating habits. That's what so many diets push. That's fine, but that's one third of what I show in my book. So permanent weight loss can be achieved by three things, eating healthy, avoiding obesogens, which are chemicals that cause weight gain and getting deep restorative sleep. That's the recipe for success. I've seen it work for 10, 15, 20 years and people still keep the weight off. Okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about obesogens, have you go a little deeper there, but I, I want to mention that I agree with you that a lot of these weight loss programs, well, all of them, they'll work. I mean, take a look at the diet where we favor protein. Well, yeah, because we're banning car carbohydrates or highly restricting carbohydrates, which is most of what people eat, not just most of what people eat. It's most of what, what healthy people eat, most of what the blue zones eat. Um, and so of course, when you restrict a, a macronutrient, there's only three macronutrients, of course, you're going to lose weight because there's so many foods that you're not eating. And you're usually eating a very prescribed follow, follow it by the book diet. But my bigger concern, besides the fact that 95% of people gain the weight back is that some of these diets aren't diets that are going to help us avoid disease and live a long time. Is it, does your research lead you to be concerned about that too? Exactly. I mean, if, if you know, anorexia, you'll lose weight if you become an anorexic. Doesn't mean it's healthy. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, that's not. You're right. You can be thin and, and and not healthy. And you know, my my mom, against my wishes, did the keto diet, and she's losing weight. And she called. She says, "My oh, my hair's starting to fall out." what do I do? And I'm like, I told you, that's not the best diet to go on. And she did. Well, I've had my friend lose weight. So you're going to lose weight, but you go, what do I do to make my hair grow? She wants vitamins and stuff. I said, that's addressing the, the smoke. Your, your fire is you're, you're, you're changing this and you're, you're avoiding these fruits and vegetables and these great products. And you're pushing the more meat product, which I don't agree with. Okay. So talk a little bit about the obesogens then. Yeah. Obesity. One of the reasons so many diets fail is because they focus on the one thing and that is food. And what we eat does play a key role. However, a major reason people are overweight is from chemicals called obesogens. They're found inside our food, wrapped around our food, and even in the cookware we prepare our food on. And what obesogens do is they disrupt our hormonal balance, they increase our appetite, and research actually shows they increase the number of fat cells that we have. We used to think we were born with so many fat cells, but obesogens add more. Who wants more fat cells? We got enough of them to worry about. Yeah, you talk, you talk about a few different foods. I, I was very interested to see what your conclusions would be. For instance, pork. Um, I haven't eaten pork in 25 years. I don't see the value in it. I just see the risk in it and the toxicity. And you have a little sidebar talking about how you believe that it looks like Mozart died of trigonosis from eating pork. Didn't know that. But, but you do at the end, like give us your, your take then on pork, because at the end you don't say don't eat pork. Is that because you're afraid that people who want to eat pork will be mad at you? Or do you think that we really need to? No, what I did is, is I tried not to do it's my way, the highway book. Like you get these, you know, you better, better do. Because the problem is if you force people not to do something, they tend to want to do it because it becomes, it becomes, uh, you know, my way, the highway, smack them on the brow. So what I did in each chapter, like the, the beef chapter, I'm anti, totally anti-beef. And it's like, if after reading this chapter by somehow, some way, you still want to eat beef after I've written all this study showing you shouldn't, here's what to look for. With pork's another one. I don't eat pork. I haven't eaten pork in 28 years 
others. But, you know, when it comes to pork, the big problem is that old saying out there, sweating like a pig. And that actually couldn't be further from the truth because pigs don't sweat. And this can lead to toxins remaining inside their body and ultimately ingested by humans that eat them. In fact, some pigs' outer fat layer is so thick and filled with toxins, if a rattlesnake bites a pig, the snake is more likely to die than the pig. So even though I'm not a fan of pork, but if it's something you choose to eat, go for the leanest, less fattening, and healthiest option, which is the pork loin. The center portion sold as a center loin is the best option with the second choice being the tenderloin. And of course, make sure it's grass-fed or free-range. And if you're a ham fan, if that's what you have to have, and despite if you read my chapter, eat it baked. And prior to baking your ham, make linear slices on the meat and place it on a meat rack to allow the excess fat to drip away. So the key is the outer layer. And again, like I said, you know, people say, oh, he's saying not to eat pork, but he's shown a little bit of ways where maybe I'll do it occasional. But I'll tell you, Robin, most people who read the pork chapter don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope that people... Um, write pork off for good. You you feel fairly similarly about red meat, right? I also gave up red meat. Really, you know, pub, public enemy number one is, is from the cow, which is, is, you know, and you know, people feel they need to eat red meat for protein. And the truth is you just don't need it to have a well-balanced diet. If you look at some of these Olympic gold medalists and vegetarians, they're strong, they're athletic, they win awards, they don't eat beef. And interesting, Robin, uh, four years ago, the National Academy of Science shared a major discovery of a unique molecule called called NEU5GC, which is found abundant in cows, but it's not found in humans. And when we eat this molecule, which is sugar, it triggers an immune response and our body attacks it. This leads to chronic inflammation, which can lead to colon cancer. Among all victims of cancer, colon cancer is the second leading cause of death. Yeah, so really, the more red meat you eat, the more likely you are to get colon cancer. And that's from everybody, Robin, John Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, the World Cancer Research Fund, all show the more red meat you eat, the more likely you get colon cancer. I mean, that's kind of out there, but we didn't know why. Now we know it's this molecule. We used to know that smoking caused cancer. We just didn't know why. And then science said, oh, it's the nicotine. Well, now we know beef is not healthy because of this NEU5GC. It's this molecule. And I'll show one more thing. This NEU5GC inflammatory sugar is just one atom different from a sugar molecule that lines our blood vessels. And it's called NEU5AC. We share this molecule with chickens and fish so we can eat those foods without that inflammatory reaction. But when we eat red meat, our immune system can't tell the difference so our body attacks it and attacks our own blood vessels. So this kind of explains also research showing red meat increases heart disease. Okay, and you talk also about fish and even people who are really paying attention about what the evidence says about how to eat, which is pretty clear that a plant-based diet is where it's at. Um, whether to eat fish or not is pretty hotly debated, but I think most people agree, even people I've interviewed on here, like John Robbins, especially as they get older, will start to um, eat fish. Then they agonize over the, the quality of the fish, the source of the fish, and lots of us have been told that because it contains mercury, we should stay away from it. But I, I read in your chapter on fish that that you basically said, hey, even post Exxon Valdez, water is safe. That's seven miles deep in many places in the ocean. This is not a reason to not eat fish. You want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, when, when I mention fish to patients, I mean, nine out of 10 say, oh, I stay away from it. I don't want, I don't want to get mercury poisoning. And they're like, what, what? And I like fish, so that's one of the things that I eat. And basically, I said, you know, is this truth? Every expert says what the next expert said. And I used to say it too. And I said, but what's the proof? Is there proof? I have not seen any. So what I did is I found out from the, the research that the oceans are not the mercury-laden cesspools we've been led to believe. In food sanity, I debunked that popular mercury fish farce by exploring cultures around the world that eat fish daily, sometimes three times a day. Their blood tests show no mercury toxicity. They're the epitome of good health. Pregnant females, you know, we've been told, oh, they got to avoid certain types of fish because they supposedly contain mercury that harm the unborn fetus. There's simply no credible research to support this. In fact, evidence I found shows quite the opposite. Cultures where pregnant females eat a primary diet of fish, mostly tuna, have healthier children with higher IQ scores than mothers avoiding fish. So mercury is a natural, pretty much natural occurring element found in the soil, air, and water. We hear all about mercury dangers of fish, but cattle products have it. So do mushrooms, high fructose corn syrup has it. Why are fish the red-headed stepchild of food? And I researched it. And one thing I want to share is mercury cannot cause harm unless it occurs in extremely high enough amounts to inhibit selenium-dependent enzymes, which naturally protect the cells of the brain. So in other words, if fish contains more selenium than mercury, it cancels out the mercury that is absorbed by the body. So in my book, I have a chart of 18 of the most commonly eaten fish. All of them, except for the mako shark, has more selenium than mercury. So, okay, play it safe, folks. If you see mako shark on the menu, don't order it. The other wild-caught fish are good for you and won't cause mercury poisoning. Naturally derived mercury found in fish is not a health concern. And I can go deeper and share why that is. It's it's not a moneymaker for big farmer for the government. When a wild caught fish is caught, it goes oop, right to the restaurant. There's no middleman. There's no growth hormones. There's no paint. There's no dyes. There's no antibiotics. There's no, uh, you know, all these chemicals that they use, pesticides. It's wild caught fit fish. So it's the least on the totem pole of moneymaker. Cattle's the highest moneymaker, and that's why it takes precedent. That's why milk advertisements are so popular. Beef is so popular. Fish, not so popular, and that's the reason. Okay, so what about farmed fish? Yeah, farmed fish is funny. When you hear the word farm, it's like, oh, that must mean great. Well, it might if it's a vegetable, but when it's, it's from a fish, it's the, the worst thing you could eat. And, you know, with farm fish, you know, the, the, look at the salmon. It's the most commonly eaten fish. 90% of it is farm raised. So people say, well, that's the majority of it. How do you know the difference? Well, remember, a fish that's a salmon is a swimmer, a professional swimmer that goes upstream. They're very strong. They're lean. A professional swimmer that's a human has literally no fat. They're very lean. I've never met a professional swimmer that had any fat. They're very lean. Well, when you have a salmon that's fat, that's not wild caught. They're fat because they're stuck in this cage. And where do these PCBs, which are cancerous and all these toxins show up? in the fat. So if you eat salmon and it says wild caught, don't believe it. You want to use your eyes, play your own detective. If you see little fat striations between the meat, that means it's farm raised. Don't buy it. So that's the big key there as well. So yeah, you want to stay away from the farm raised fish. And it just makes sense because it's not wild caught. Then you're dealing with the pesticides, they're fed soy, they're fed corn. That's not what, of course, the corn might have pesticides in it and the processing and so forth. So you don't get that in the wild. So yeah, definitely farm-raised fish is not the answer. Okay. And I think my readers are pretty well educated about milk. I think people have been paying attention at all in nutrition in the last 10 years 
are probably pretty critical of what our mothers and our grandmothers were taught, but they were taught. And we were, even when I was raising my little babies, the first few of them, you know, I remember moms sitting around where all the places that moms hang out, the park, church, whatever, bragging about how many bottles of milk their baby drank because we were taught, including by our pediatricians, that my my own pediatrician said, my first one, he eventually got fired, but he said, just get as much milk in that kid as you can. Fruits and vegetables, oh, yeah. they're just fiber. <laughs> Fruits and vegetables are just fiber. You don't really need it, but milk is where it's at. Um, and his staff later told me that he ate out at J-Dogs every day, which here in Utah is the hot dog chain. So he probably uh, wasn't the best person to ask for advice about nutrition. But true. what do we do about the fact that our mothers and grandmothers taught us that we need dairy products for calcium and for protein? Well, you know, people drink milk for its calcium content for strong bones, but before that milk goes through the grocery store, it's pasteurized. And what that means is it's exposed to extreme heat. This heat process is great because it destroys the bacteria, but it also renders a lot of the milk's calcium content insoluble. It's destroyed during the manufacturing process. So what if raw unpasteurized milk was available? It still wouldn't give you enough magnesium needed for your body to absorb the calcium. See, the calcium to magnesium ratio in cow's milk is nine to one. 90% calcium, 10% magnesium. Most experts now say we need one-to-one. Guess where you can get the one-to-one ratio for strong bones? From plants, the same place that cows get their strong bones. Cows don't drink milk, calves do. The same place gorillas get their strong bones. They don't drink milk. Same place, let's go even bigger. Elephants, the biggest animal on the planet. They've got pretty strong bones. They get it from plants, so we don't need milk. You can get just the perfect magnesium calcium ratio from things like spinach or almonds or sesame seeds or summer squash. And then when you look at the, um, you know, the big thing with uh, protein, well, what about protein? That's the major reason why cow's milk is bad for us is the protein. It's called casein, and casein from cow's milk is also used to make glue to hold together wood. Think of the cow logo on Elmer's glue. It's there for a reason. It's used to make polymer for plastic. So if you were to swallow glue, your body would consider it an invasion and it would attack it. When you ingest casein, a glue-like substance that's in glue, your body attacks it by producing histamines, which causes mucus production, can lead to everything from bronchitis, asthma, sinus, ear infections, irritable bowel, the list goes on and on. And interesting, the so many studies, there was one I remember from the World Health Organization that linked consumption of casein with increased risk of heart disease, high cholesterol, and type 1 diabetes. And the big thing, Robin, common sense, forget all the science I just spit out, common sense. What's casein for? It's to make a 100-pound calf turn into a 2,000-pound cow. It's to fatten a cow up. It's, they call it a fat cow for a reason. Why would you want to drink something that's going to fatten you up? So my question is, would you put gargantuan-sized cow fuel inside a human body? No, that would be like using rocket fuel inside the gas tank of your moped. It's too much. It's overkill. We don't need that kind of protein. You have such good metaphors. Uh, you talk a lot about some information most people probably aren't aware of about vitamins and how some of them can contribute to disease rather than prevent it. I read how you were taking vitamin C. I take vitamin C when I feel a virus or bacterial infection coming on. And I know FDA just pulled its uh, approval of intravenous vitamin C, which a lot of insurance companies had gone to paying for. But you talked about some evidence that taking vitamin C, is it just long term that it's a problem for, for causing some disease? Talk a little bit about the issues around vitamins 
and how them how some of them contribute to disease, disease potentially. Yeah, it, basically, it's uh, it, it's like we talked about with with the chemicals. You know, it's interesting because the Mount Sinai School of Medicine did a study that said that vitamin C causes genetic damage to your genes and offspring. And I read this while I'm taking three thousand milligrams of vitamin C a day, and I'm like, what? And then a person who worked, it was a PhD that worked at Takata, which was the ascorbic acid plant near my home. He came, he's a patient of mine, he makes vitamin C. And I said, aha, Mr. Vitamin C maker, what do you think of this study? It causes genetic damage. You know what he said? Oh, wouldn't surprise me. He said, if you knew what we make that stuff with, you would, you would understand. He says, I don't touch it. I said, what do you mean? I get my pen out. He's spitting out all these chemicals that's used. Acetone, the same stuff used to make nail polish. Benzene, which you'll find in gasoline. Chlorine, which is great for, and Clorox, which is great for clothes, but I don't want it in my body. And the list goes on and on. Perchloric acid, which is used to make rocket fuels and explosives. This is the stuff used to make ascorbic acid. So it's not vitamin C that's bad. It's this man-made fraud copycat ascorbic acid vitamin C that you find in your soda pops and your pop tarts that you see the word ascorbic acid. That's the stuff that's not good for you. Ascorbic acid is not vitamin C. So you, vitamin C is great, but here's the question. An orange is a great source of vitamin C, right? You know how much milligrams approximately of vitamin C is in an orange? 30. So if Linus Pauling said you need 3,000 and he reportedly took 12,000, that would be the equivalent of taking like 3,000 like 3, oranges a day. We don't need that much vitamin C. So when man creates it, it's overkill. You need so much in abundance. But when nature, one orange, two oranges is fine. That's all the vitamin C you need. You don't need this mega, mega doses of vitamin C, which is quote, quote, ascorbic acid. That's not natural vitamin C. Okay, but we know that uh, big doses of vitamin C are useful against a specific situation like a virus. Do you have a supplement that you could recommend that isn't using this synthetic ascorbic acid or what would you take if you wanted to achieve those effects? Yeah, again, when it's vitamin C, you want to look for, for a cereal. Cherry's good. Uh, that's a good one. Also, you know, eat an orange. Eat, eat these, you know, uh, Camu Camu is one of the highest. That's great. You can get a supplement. Camu Camu is phenomenal. That's vitamin. Goji berries are high in vitamin C. So you, there's ways to find the natural sources. There's a company called Mega Food, which I love because they have all these natural food derivatives. What I always tell people is how do you know if you're getting these synthetic junk that's the, the vitamins? Look on the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, uh, the back, and if you see things like seeds and stem and plant and fruits and vegetables, things that are talking about food, hope, then you can eat it. Take it like you would food. You wouldn't want to take something that has these chemicals that you can't even pronounce, or the thing that I like is if you take it out and you let it sit out on the counter, and a month later it's the same color, same side, nothing changes. It's probably dead. There was nothing to be alive with it. I know the supplement I carry that I, that I created, if you let it sit out for a day, it turns brown, it's dying. How can something die? That means it's alive. You want living fruits and vegetables. So you just don't want these. And yeah, it'll kill viruses, soda, antibiotics. That doesn't mean you want to be on it every day. Okay, so one more question for you. GMO foods, super hot topic. Uh, we recently had Jeffrey Smith on the show and people are saying to stay away from it, but we're having a problem with the fact that our government doesn't require labeling. So you share a little known secret in your book about how we can detect if our produce is genetically modified. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, interesting. You know, the European Union, as well as 64 countries worldwide, have put restrictions on GMOs, but not the USA. 70% of the food sold at grocery stores contain GMOs, and the two biggies are soybean and corn. And as you mentioned, labels aren't required to divulge if our food has GMOs, but you can play detective and avoid them by looking at the PLU code that stands for price lookup code. That's that sticker you find at the grocery store. If you see the five digit code starting with an eight, it's GMO. If it starts with a nine, it's organic. So an easy way to remember this, eight isn't great, but nine is fine. And that's a good, easy way to remember that. Also, you can look for non-GMO project on the label. And of course, there's other little tips. You want to buy locally, choose organic, avoid processed vegetable products. Stay clear of the soybeans and the corn, as we mentioned as well. So interesting. Well, you've been really generous with your knowledge. Your book is incredible. I hope everybody goes to get it. It's Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction. So Dr. Friedman, tell us where they can follow you. Yeah, you can look for the uh, book at foodsanity.com. And I didn't have room for recipes because the book's so thick. So I gave a 92-page ebook that's free. If you go to foodsanity.com, it's a compilation with 30 recipes with good, healthy ingredients. And to learn more about me, it's drfriedman.com. And you can see my, my blog post, my videos, audios, and some of my radio podcasts. And I've interviewed a lot of the guests that Robin's interviewed as well. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate you. Uh, it was very much a pleasure and I appreciate the invite.